0: This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Tansay, bonjour, and hello everyone. Welcome to Conversations with the President. My name is Brad Regeer. The Canadian Bar Association is 124 years old and I am its first Indigenous President. Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission studied the legacy of the Indian residential school system and listened to the powerful stories of those who survived being ripped from their parents and their culture. They survived institutionalized physical and sexual abuse. They survived being punished for speaking their own language. In 2015, the TRC published 94 Calls to Action, a list of things that needed to happen in order for reconciliation between Indigenous peoples and the descendants of European settlers to reconcile and move forward together. This year the podcast will look at calls to action that are directed at the legal profession and the justice system. I'll be talking with students, lawyers, and academics about their experiences, about what has changed since 2015, and what still needs to be done. The Truth and Reconciliation's 11th Call to Action is a demand for adequate funding to end the backlog of First Nations students seeking post-secondary education. Funding is important, of course, but that's not the beginning, or the end, of supports that Indigenous students need to talk about and to thrive in the academic world. A 2016 report talks about having about other barriers such as living in remote communities and having to travel, lack of mentors and established networks, systemic racism, and a lack of awareness of Aboriginal issues in the school. My guests this episode are Alyssa Bird and Robin Sutherland. Alyssa Bird is an Anishinaabe and Cree woman from the Pegwas First Nation. She earned her Juris Doctorate at the University of Manitoba, where she was an executive member of the Manitoba Indigenous Law Students Association. She now practices with Evans Family Law in Winnipeg. Robin Sutherland is a Meshkegawe, Innu raised in the Moose Cree First Nation and is a proud member of the Fort Albany First Nation. His background is in teaching secondary school in his home community. He moved to Thunder Bay, Ontario to take the position of Aboriginal Transitions Advisor at Lakehead University. He is now the Director of Indigenous Relations at Lakehead's Alaskan Faculty of Law. Welcome both of you to the podcast. Alyssa, let's start with you. You were called to the bar this year in Manitoba. Congratulations. Can you tell me a bit about yourself? What, what brought you to the study of law?
1: Hello, my name is Manumi and and Just like to do my formal introduction here. Throughout my undergrad degree, I was taking a whole bunch of indigenous studies courses and I found myself when any of the, the readings I was getting assigned, the ones that was most being most inspired by was indigenous academics who had a background in law. So it's like, OK, these guys are all saying really cool things, um, things that I want to learn more about, and I want to essentially do the work that they are doing and being able to speak so powerfully and so passionately about uh, things like indigenous sovereignty and indigenous legal traditions, revitalizations, and finding creative ways to challenge the Canadian legal system. So during, towards the end of my undergrad, I was just like, you know what? Why not give a shot to the LSAT, apply to law school. And if I get in, I get in. And that's what essentially was my first step
0: i am going to tell you, Alyssa, that sounds a lot like uh, how I came into law. So it's, uh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Quite often, people studying law will have a built-in network, family, connections, friends who help them navigate, give them advice about schools and finding jobs. What, what kind of support did you have?
1: My first introduction into, I guess, what the legal system was, was I remember way back in grade nine. They have that take your kid to work day and I have a relative who works in justice who uh, we reached out to and asked if I can go and hang out with him for the day. I remember showing up real nervous because again, um, being a young person thinking of like law and law courts is like this big, scary monolith of a system. And I was able to hang out with uh, my relative who showed me around the law court stuck me in a room where a proceeding was going on and got to check out his office. And that was my, I lovingly call him Uncle Murray, um, Ray Sinclair. And so he was my first kind of like big support of opening my, I guess my view as a young person that this was something that I can do. Throughout undergrad, I had really strong uh, academic professors who when as they were teaching me some of the legal systems going on or that were in place uh one of them was by the name of uh dr professor of or valandra who introduced me to another one of his relatives who was working at at the law school at the time and that was wendy white cloud so i like almost there's like these little steps where i was introduced to people who kind of like had like one foot, well, not one foot, I guess that's more of a being fully immersed in the legal system like Uncle Murray, but um, there was like small nudges that were getting me towards there. But other than that, it's just been my, my family who have been the biggest supports in terms of saying, yeah, you can do it, go for it, why not? Thanks
0: for sharing that, Alyssa. Uh, Robin, I'm gonna to turn to you. Your background is teaching. Why did
2: you wanna become a teacher? English Brad uh, first of all watch uh, A for those of you that uh, don't speak in uh, uh, that basically what I said is hello everyone my name is Robin Sutherland I'm from the, the pipeline, or so I've been told and I come from uh, Fort Albany First Nation um to answer your question Brad why did I get into education um, growing up, I think that I've always had a passion for helping others. And also growing up, I think much like uh, many other Indigenous youth, uh, law school wasn't really on my radar, It wasn't really an option for me. I didn't really consider it in my, in my world. Um, but both my parents were professionals. My mother uh, was uh, a nurse and my father was a, was a teacher. So those were the two biggest uh, fields that were in my view. And I leaned towards a, a teaching because I did like working with, with younger people with youth, especially Indigenous youth. and As I progressed through my education, uh, becoming a high school teacher uh, in Fort Albany, I really, that, struck, that, that passion struck a chord with me. I really enjoyed working with uh, people from my community especially, and helping them realize their goals. Uh, when I left Fort Albany with my wife, um, we moved back to Thunder Bay, and that's where I uh, got a job at, Lake, at the main campus of Lake University as a, the Aboriginal Trans- Transitions Advisor. And in that role, I was helping, again, Indigenous youth achieve their, their goals, whether it be uh, pursuing a professional degree, pursuing any type of employment through a university degree. That was uh, what I enjoyed doing, and I still enjoy it. And now at the law school, it's just, it seems more specialized. Now I'm helping Indigenous youth uh, achieve their dreams of becoming lawyers or law practitioners. And I really do enjoy that. It's very satisfying work.
0: In your role as Aboriginal Transition Advisor, what, what was the experience of students who came to you when you were working in that office? They, you know, they, they came down to Lakehead. And what, what was their background? What, what had been their experience in the educational system?
2: So I think when talking about Indigenous people in general, uh, even Indigenous youth, it's very hard to place them in one box. There's a wide variety of, of backgrounds there. So some come in with very little educational experience, very little urban experience. So part of my job was helping students adjust and transition from some of the remote communities they might be coming in from to the urban environment of Thunder Bay, a much larger city compared to a small reserve. Also that transition from high school to post-secondary, which is a big transition for anybody, but especially for someone coming from a remote reserve um, where they might not even have a high school or their high school uh, might be substandard due to uh, financial resources and various other reasons. So I think that uh, the supports that uh, students need going into post-secondary, especially coming in from remote backgrounds, uh, includes it could could be academic, it could be cultural. Some of our youth have lost that connection to their culture. Um, Many need that individual support. And I think that uh, really the the approach to be taken is a holistic approach to identify what each individual student needs and try and accommodate those needs, whether it be academic, cultural, individual, or transitional.
0: I mean, understanding that, that everyone's story is different and and there's, there's a lot of uh, diversity and differences between indigenous groups and, and communities, but what kind of legacy do you think the residential school system had on Uh, Indigenous people's perception of European-style education? Another great
2: question. I I think that uh, it's it's had multiple impacts. For one, of course, I think we all know the intention behind the residential school system was to assimilate Indigenous people into the mainstream society. If that wasn't achieved, I think that the secondary goal was to eliminate our culture and our language. And although they weren't uh, successful, I think we can still see that we're, we're still here. We're still proud of our cultures and our languages and we're still trying to reclaim those pieces that we've lost Um, but that's one of the biggest legacies is losing that connection to our our way of life Um, but also introducing that western model of education Um, and with that introduction I think currently um, because of the impacts of of the way it was released I think that we are, uh, some of us are very distrustful of that westernized system. I witnessed that uh, teaching in Fort Albany. I found that Open me back up one step. I think that one of the biggest keys to success in education is that is the support of the family. And in a lot of uh, reserved communities, I find that there's not, not a lot of family support due to that distrust of the legacy left behind from that residential school system. And that is partially responsible, I think, for some of the struggles that some of our indigenous youth face in schools in their own communities, but more so in when transitioning to schools in urban centers.
0: So you see that as the biggest obstacle. Uh, for indigenous students in post secondary or even secondary education,
2: the uh, issues around uh, family support I think that 's more more of an issue at the secondary level. going into post secondary of course, a good family support system helps, but by that point, I think many youth are expected to be more more independent. Um, I think another barrier of course, is, is you 've mentioned in your introduction is the, the financial uh, barriers. Um, not all of our students are receive funding from their bands. Some are, of course, non-status due to colonial factors. And those students have a much harder time fi- accessing funding to support their education.
0: Um, well, actually, I'm going to turn back to Alyssa. Um, how about you? How, did you have trouble finding the necessary resources to go to law school?
1: No, I did not. The reason why is because I was one of the... Uh, a student who was like very, very fortunate enough to get uh, post-secondary support from my community. Um, And in the sense that they covered um, tuition expenses and gave me a bit of a living allowance and things like that. I often, I find that a lot of students have a hard time admitting that, um, especially in a place like law school, um, because what ends up happening is that you hear the prevailing um, stereotypical narrative like oh uh, Indigenous peoples always get free handouts and things like that but uh, I usually whenever somebody had asked me I would always say up front like no I was very fortunate enough to get um, support from my community and I would take it as a educational moment where I can teach them like you know it's, it's not always a guarantee of funding first off each First Nation community has their own uh, funding structure and policies around applicants and how that process is done and those policies and things are in place are are in place because of the scarcity of funding and um, things like where I have to renew for refunding um, every year I had to report on what my GPA was every year I had to um, give updates to my student advisor to what courses I was in and if I was in. If I, um, when my GPA for one of my courses, like this is all through undergrad, not just through law school, but if my, some of my GPA were getting kind of like low on certain things, they would do a check-in and kind of like, see what's, what's going on. Do you need other support? And so when it came to the financial stuff, um, I felt very fortunate that I was able to get like that because that's something that if I hadn't had it, I would not be in post-secondary education, Never mind a professional degree like this if that wasn't offered to me.
0: Other than the, the financial aspect, mm-hmm. what else did you need to go to law school?
1: <laughs> I mean, my friends joke around a long time, like we needed scheduled crying times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I personally would not have survived law school without the supports from my indigenous um, legal colleagues and who are now my best friends. With, that's at Raven Dominique Kobe. Danielle Morrison and Del Dick as because there are other Indigenous students with me who were in my, who entered law school at the same time. And if I didn't have the supports of other Indigenous law students at the school, I would have, it would have been a completely different experience. I would probably have just like kept my studies, gone to school, came back and just did my own thing. But having the supports of other indigenous people in my year was a lot of help.
0: So was, was law school a comfortable place for you?
1: No. And it was not a comfortable place for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, One of them, again, I think you brought up before of how the economic and class background of a lot of people entering law school is very much different from your standard uh, indigenous student entering into post-secondary and professional degree. Um, there are names for students who, like who are second or uh, third generation of lawyers and judges. Um, we call them legacies, and those are the people who come from that kind of background are very, very much different than an indigenous student. So, when, so not only that is a student aspect, but also the um, the stuff that is being taught to us. Uh, personally, myself, because I grew up very strong and close with my grandparents, and uh, my my day when Anishinaabe teachings that I was very aware of what I refer to a lot as Indigenous legal traditions, and entering into law school, being taught about the the common law system and how that structure comes into place in building the Canadian legal system is was really tough because again you're getting constantly well this is the rule of law the rule of law um but that's the rule of law as it benefits canadians and canadians um the canadian colonial system and that was built on top of of um not on top of it was built disrespecting indigenous legal systems so that was another real challenging thing of trying to not not reconcile the two but like um thinking about the systems that are in place and how they're so different.
0: And, and yet Indigenous legal systems, in my view, form part of the, the legal fabric of Canada uh, alongside the common law and civil law systems. But it's but it's not taught.
1: No, I'm just going to say, like, it's, it's not held with the same respect.
0: Um, Robin, I'm going to turn back to you quick. Uh, what does Lakehead do specifically for Indigenous students to make them feel welcome there?
2: Well, I think Lakehead does quite a bit, actually, uh, to to acclimate our Indigenous students. Um, For one thing, they have uh, the Office of Indigenous Initiatives, formerly the Office of Aboriginal Initiatives. And under that, they have the uh, uh, Indigenous Student Services Centre, formerly the Aboriginal Cultural Support Services. And through those, they offer a wide variety of programming and supports, including academic workshops, presentations, uh, individual supports and uh, counselling, as well as cultural supports, including elders, uh, feasts and other activities. Uh, They also assist with funding, uh, helping students apply for scholarships and bursaries. Um, There's also a few transitional programs at Lakehead. Uh, Currently we have the uh, ITYP, the Indigenous Transition Year Program. Formerly it was called the Native Access Program. Uh, There's a Native Nurses Entry Program. Uh, Those are all for the main campus. At the law school actually we just, uh, this summer we started a new uh, course, a complimentary Indigenous summer law course for uh, offered free of charge to all of our incoming Indigenous law students. Uh, this was a direct response to the cancellation of the Indigenous Law Center Summer Program at the University of Saskatchewan, but it's basically meant to help give our Indigenous students uh, a leg up in, uh, in their first year of law school. We also have a number of committees at Lakehead uh, that are overseeing various um, aspects of Indigenous uh, studentship. Uh, we have the OAGC, which is our Ogemauan Aboriginal Governance Council, oversees our, uh, it's, it's like the Board of Governors and Senate. It's our third um, governance branch. We have the President's Council on Truth and Reconciliation. Currently, uh, that's run by the uh, Chair of Truth and Reconciliation, Dr. Cynthia Wesley Esquimo. And we're developing uh, eight modules to be offered to faculty and staff to increase their uh, cultural awareness and uh, sensitivity. Uh, there's also the President's, ta- sorry, Provost's Task Force on the Indigenous Content Requirement so at Lakehead, we do have an Indigenous content requirement that um, all students at Lakehead are required to complete. Um, that looks different at different universities, but at Lakehead, students need currently need to need to complete uh, eighteen hours of Type E courses, which are courses that have Indigenous content embedded through those courses. There's also a food security security committee and anti-racism committee. Lots of different structures that are meant to support and uh, and. Help our students feel comfortable at Lakehead. There's also our academic and strategic plan, which infuses Indigenous content and perspectives throughout those plans, throughout each of, each of our pillars. I want to jump back to something that uh, Alyssa referred to is that the stigma around funding and even around supports, so services, and programs. Um, I mentioned the uh, Indigenous Law Center Summer Program at Saskatchewan, and uh, there's even a stigma around students that go through that program. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: I think that um, in general, anytime we try and offer Indigenous students some sort of assistance and a leg up, it seems to be stigmatized. And uh, it shouldn't. It really shouldn't be. There are reasons that we are offering support and it's because of all these colonial factors that we mentioned that we are kind of a step back, you might say. And uh, it's just meant to put us on an e- equitable playing field. Maybe not an equal, but an equitable playing field. Alyssa,
0: I heard you... <laughs> Agree with uh, uh, Robin's statement. Do you want to add anything to that?
1: Uh, It's just that not only for myself, but, and the colleagues in my year, but it's something that we, unfortunately in this day and age that uh, indigenous students are still hearing in the halls of law school of uh, why is there an indigenous consideration category for admissions that that spot can be given to somebody who actually deserves it? Uh, Why our indigenous people being able to get uh, take advantage of programs like um, the Native uh, legal center that's in Saskatchewan when it was still going? Uh, th- those comments still happen. Uh, comments are made from uh, professors and instructors that um, echo that ki- type of stigma of, "Oh, because you're indigenous, you get that, and that's unfair." And to me it was shocking as an Indigenous law student, because we're supposed to be in a uh, professional collegial program and to have people who are leading things and people who are going to go on to be my colleagues in the practice or have, have these beliefs still. And the more so the reason why it's important to keep pushing on Indigenous initiatives like training and providing supports, because hearing those types of comments and, uh, experiencing, um, those kinds of things within law schools and within legal practices is, uh, stuff that further isolates indigenous bar members and, uh, indigenous students. So it's, um, it's important work, uh, the work that Robin has been doing and to making sure that we do feel like we belong in these spaces.
0: That, um, I, I, I mean, it's, uh, it's disappointing for me to hear that because I, I remember hearing those things in the early 90s when I went to law school, uh, those comments being made. So does that, does that make having a, an Indigenous Law Students Association necessary for students who are going through law school?
1: A hundred percent, because what I think Indigenous Law Students Associations do, obviously, is like making sure that there is an organized voice within the law school provides that, but also the um, association tries to build a community amongst the law students there. So again, it's not so isolating. Uh, so yeah, I will, in my first year of university, I was the first year rep at the Mil- MILSA, it's now called the Manitoba Indigenous Law Students Association. Second year, I was um, the quote unquote president. And then the last year I was a treasury. So in my experience there, In my short three years, we did a, our association did a lot of work to try and um, continue to push uh, faculty and administration to uh, recognize that there is, there are issues in the law school still. And um, we were trying to work with the faculty members to, on different solutions to try to address that. One of them was trying to find like a designated space within the law school for um, MILSA to have uh, more stronger incorporation of uh, indigenous content. We actually, we were trying to get them to make a mandatory course or mandatory um something, uh, but that's still kind of in the works, I guess, from the other, the new incoming MILSA members. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's just interesting to hear um, from you, Brad, that the conversations were still happening in the 90s and it's still an ongoing thing.
0: Uh, Alyssa, I was there so long ago that we didn't call it MELSA, we called it MALSA. <laughs> uh, Robin, I'd like to hear your perspective on, is, is it necessary to have an Indigenous Law Students Association? Is, is there one at Lakehead?
2: Yes, we do have one. I do think it's uh, very important for every law school to have one. Um, yeah, at Lakehead we do have an Indigenous Law Students Association. We also, I think, I believe include allies in that group as well. But as Alyssa pointed out, I think a designated space is very important, which we do have at Lakehead. Actually, we have more than one designated space for Indigenous students. In addition to their, their own lounge, we also have a restorative justice room at our law school, as well as an, an Aboriginal law classroom. Um, the entire third, third, third floor is actually kind of our Indigenous space with uh, different paintings and features that really help indigenize the space at our law school. I think that's important
0: to indigenize the space. What kind of programs do we need to put into place to help Indigenous youth see post-secondary education, including law school, as an option? Yeah,
2: great question. I think there's, uh, again, many programs that I've mentioned already, those academic, cultural, financial, individual support programs. Again, that holistic approach is important. You need to focus on the individual and find out what they need specifically and then set them up with those programs that are available to them. Um, I think recruitment in terms of law schools and, in general, undergraduate education is important. At, at Lakehead, um, at the Borlaaskan Faculty of Law, I, I do my recruitment down to elementary schools because, again, growing up, law school was not an option for me. I didn't even consider it. I don't think many Indigenous youth do. So I try and make them see that that is an option. I let them know how to get there, the steps that are you need to take. Um, that when you break it down, it doesn't seem that complicated. It doesn't seem unreachable. Um, I think we also need, um, what's very important for Indigenous people is that in-person contact and that land-based education, which is a lot more difficult in this current uh, COVID environment. But I think we do need that connection to each other and to the land. Um, it really does enhance our educational uh, outcomes.
0: Alyssa, can you name any supports you think Indigenous students need for post-secondary education?
1: I would just think of the stuff that would help me and um, I would echo the same thing to, to um to law students coming in. One of them would be, I always encourage students to find the things that help ground you because when you enter into a uh, institution like law school, things are going to be like flying so fast in terms of even like content where it's, it's difficult to kind of like grasp on sometimes against when it's uh, something that's, potentially is so foreign to you, especially uh, not only the content of the things you're being taught in classrooms, but also the whole new networking and entering into a professional field where uh, there's all these connections that are already made sometimes and it's hard to not feel overwhelmed. So it's finding things that ground you, things that are gonna keep you sane. uh, Also finding your community and that can look how every feels comfortable to you because that's going to be part of that uh, support system that helps ground you to help you survive through the process of law school.
0: Can you tell me about the work you did as program director for Levels Indigenous Youth Outreach Program?
1: Sure. And yeah, I heard a bit of um, some of the stuff that Robin had stated earlier. And uh, one of the things that really connected with what uh, Level tries to do with that. Uh, IOP it's called, is creating that mentor-mentee relationship. So what the Indigenous Youth Outreach Program is, is uh, an opportunity for uh, law students, uh, practicing lawyers to go into a grade um, seven, eight class and teaching them the kind of like the fundamentals of criminal law. Um, We work with students to uh, get them prepared to participate in a moot court and uh, also do a bit of like restorative justice teaching and um, teaching like Indigenous legal concepts on a very basic level. So I, in my first year, I was just a mentor myself. Second year, I was a coordinator. And uh, just last year, I guess, before kind of the COVID restrictions started to hit, I was um, returning as a articling student um, mentor. The, the whole point of the Indigenous Outreach Program is being able to start building those connections with students from such a, like, a young age. And not only from law students to um, middle school students, but also potentially between the the articling or practicing students with law students as well.
0: That sounds like a great program. Um, unfortunately, I'd, I'd love if we could Keep talking, but uh, I'm going to have to wrap it up right away. Uh, I'm just going to ask: Is there anything either of you would like to add or say? I'll, I'll start with Robin.
2: I guess a couple of things. I just wanted to. Uh, I guess when we're talking about the sports. I think one of the big supports that I want to uh, reiterate that Alyssa did uh, mention is that that peer support. I mentioned family support, but I think the support of peers is is super important. I've seen that at the law school at, at Lakehead because we're such a small faculty. We admit uh, 65 students per year the students really do form a tight-knit, uh, close community and they really do rely on each other for a lot of support. And I find that that gets them through a lot of uh, challenges that uh, they might not even bring to me or my, my colleagues at the law school. So I think peer support again, whether through your community at the law school or through a larger Indigenous community like uh, the Indigenous Bar Association does a great job of connecting Indigenous students with each other. Um, again, back to the, I guess, legacy of res- residential schools. I just wanted to make one point about that as well. I um, mentioned the varying impacts on communities and families. I want to give one example of my uh, my family. Um, my mother and her two brothers, both they all attended uh, St. Anne's in Fort Albany. It was one of the notoriously uh, worst schools in Canada. And they all have been affected in different ways. Um, one of them is uh, living a very professional life, um, despite uh, other issues with alcohol and substances. And one on the other, on the other side of the spectrum is uh, I think the most affected, uh, struggling to live a uh, normal life going in and out of jail, dealing with heavy substance and alcohol issues. And another is kind of maybe further on his healing path. He's kind of gone to the reconnect with the land and his traditions, and is focusing on the spiritual side of, of, of himself. And I think that is kind of the key to his success in dealing with that legacy of residential schools. It's focusing on the self, taking care of yourself before you can take care of others. I think that's true in the legal, legal profession as well. You need to pay attention to yourself and take care of yourself before you can hope to help others. I just like to leave that, leave that thought with everyone. Miigwech.
0: Thanks, Robin. Alyssa, anything you want to add?
1: Uh, yeah, that's, um, that's really nice um, words that you shared, Robin. Thank you for that. Because I, again, resonate a lot with some of that stuff with having being a second generation of a residential school survivor, myself with my grandparents and extended relatives, uh, we are I believe we're entering, not entering, we are starting to see a change in a lot of the legal profession's approach to um, issues with related to the call to actions and just an overall general kind of opening your eyes a little bit more to the issues around Um, racism and all those types of things. And so what I'm experiencing and have been experiencing and kind of further promote has been working with people within the legal system to do better and know better and sharing my experiences with people on a one-to-one basis or uh, um, working with... uh, like administration with the law society or the law school when I was there on, again, what the realities are as an Indigenous person going through law school and the legal profession. And it's it's challenging work because not only are we expected to uh, hold a high degree of professionalism and learn the law and serve our clients well and going through all of that, the normal processes of becoming a lawyer but we have this additional emotional and mental labor that we have to do in terms of being the Indigenous person that is almost like basing this mountain of we, we need to change this and we need to change it quick and fast and because uh, being leaders in the um, legal field here it's uh, it's overwhelming sometimes and it's something that's important to keep in mind when if you're reaching out to Indigenous colleagues or um, just people that you know because not only are we dealing with the day-to-day life of the practice of law but also uh, remembering the, the impacts of the, the news that happens like every single day it seems like sometimes. So yeah, it's important to do that self-care and to make sure that Um, recognize that your Indigenous colleagues might be going through some rough times. Be there as allies and supports and do what you can to help.
0: I I couldn't agree more with both of you. Um, Unfortunately, uh, we have to wrap it up for today. Uh, I think uh, we probably could have talked for a few more hours, Uh, and I (laughs) want to thank both of you for sharing uh, with me today. Uh, I know sometimes uh, it can be difficult doing that, but um, you've... uh, you made my job really easy, so I really want to thank both of you for joining me, me today. No, no, thank you for this.
2: It's been a great experience for me, too. Yeah, thanks for
1: inviting me.
0: I've been talking with Alyssa Bird, a young lawyer with Evans Family Law in Winnipeg, and Robin Sutherland, the Director of Indigenous Relations at Lakehead University's Boar Alaskan Faculty of Law. I say, merci, thank you. We want to hear your stories about your experience as an Indigenous person with the legal profession, as a practitioner, as a student, and as an academic. You can let us know on Twitter by going to at CBA underscore news, or at Facebook and Instagram by going to at Canadian Bar Association. You can hear this podcast and others on our CBA channel, The Every Lawyer, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes. And to hear us in French, listen to our Juris Branche podcasts. Thank you, everyone, for listening.